Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, good friends, and welcome to another episode of the 10,000 Layers Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Radke, here with Julian Andrews. Julian, how you doing? Hey, Kyle. Doing pretty good. Pretty good. We so, are recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. My cat is in the recliner next to me, and... Julian, you know my cat. We we have it wouldn't be a podcast without talking about my cat. He makes me recline the recliner, so How he can. Exactly. Well, How he just he like sits there that? and basically he just meows at you. Okay, got it. So, um, glad you acquiesced to his wishes, so we can you know proceed with our day. He the biggest winner of work from home is Kyle's cat. I think that's what everybody can uh, decide. Um, we have a really fun guest today, and I'm excited. And um, he was on our initial guest of, or list of guests that we could have, but we didn't think we'd be able to have just because he's big time. And while well, we're not, from Sports Illustrated, NBA writer Michael Pina. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? And for the record, you, I'm always available. I'm <laughs> very much the opposite of big time. <laughs> you work for Sports Illustrated now. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, it's like a childhood dream come true for me. I mean, I really was unable to do anything in life besides watch the NBA and occasionally write about it. So I'm very fortunate that um, the good people at Sports Illustrated have given me a platform to give out my, my ridiculous opinions <laughs> on everything that happens in the league on a regular basis. It's It's been a joy. And you guys have an absolute all-star team there right now. Um, you know, just reading some roundtables and, and some looks like previewing the season and everything. And you look at all the names on there and it's just like, yeah, it's cool. It's like, it's like, it was at the 1927 Yankees that were really good. That's how I feel about sports illustrated. It's basketball lineup. Are you just saying these things so that I'll say nice things about the Timberwolves later? Is that no, how no. we, you know, we're, we're beyond that. If you want to say nice things about me or Julian, um, we'll take that nice things about the Timberwolves. We don't have to go there. Okay. Okay. Well, both of you are great so far. So hey, look at that. Yeah, it works, Kyle. It worked. Yeah, we got that's. We're gonna edit all these clips, um, <laughs> and it's, we're gonna make some real uh, about it later. Um, so the piece that I think I don't know if analytically the most the most people have have read one of your pieces, but um, I guess the most impactful, at least for me as a reader, um, you have the Jalen Brown piece from from GQ. Uh, and you open up the interview with admitting that the, the interview hit a bit of a lull. And thank you for that, because I think all people watching, um, like anybody that's ever watched an interview live or uh, they watch like a press conference interview, I think they think that they're super easy. And in fact, they're not. And sometimes, especially when you're one-on-one -on -one with, with, with an athlete or whoever it is, um, it's not super easy. So thank you for leading with that. You, you guys hit a lull and you didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it was really interesting because Jalen was doing his photo shoot and apparently, you know, um, that had some time issue. And so he was waiting around and he didn't get to eat 
dinner. And so I was getting him just in a kind of a cranky mood, I think he would admit. Um, and also like all of my questions for him, almost none had to do with basketball. And a lot had to do with just trying to, uh, you know, talk about social justice, talk about systemic racism, talk about super light topics that anyone would enjoy discussing at length. On an empty um, stomach, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, about an hour in, um, I started asking him questions about basketball, and he's just um, not receiving them well at all. And so, uh, yeah, I just pivoted and kind of threw out a random question that I wasn't really even intending to ask, and it was it was great. Um, he responded well. Um, and I just figured why not lead the story with this because it was my most memorable takeaway after we were done talking, not that he didn't say anything else that was way more important, but, um, that really stuck out in my head just right as, uh, our zoom call ended. Like when, when you're doing these interviews, I think a lot of times, right? Like you're talking about, uh, you know, what's the expectations for the Celtics or how do you fit on a team with Jason Tatum or we, whatever it is, um, and I, we're seeing less and less of like the stick to sports mentality, just given everything that's happened over the last, um, you know, I guess four or five, I mean, well, forever. Right. But mm -hmm. um, when you're asking these questions for you, is that different too? Because you're, you're kind of entering a different, um, I don't know, stratosphere of, of, of journalism. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think honestly, for me, um, having covered the league uh, for about 10 years um, and just writing about the minutia of on-court activity, on-court trends, analytics, um, you know, X's and O's, breaking down trades, after a while, like, I love that stuff, but it also is pretty mundane. And so when the bubble started, and I should say right before, <clears throat> when the season shut down, before the bubble started, like I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, like your mind is not necessarily thinking about basketball all the time. And you're starting to be like, there are a lot more important things. Not that I didn't know that before. There's a lot more important things going on in the world. And I'm here, you know, trying to break down uh, uh, a, a pick and roll between like Kemba Walker and Daniel Tice. Like I, it just, it, it seems very, very uh, trivial, which it is in the big scheme. And so like I have other interests as just a human being uh, in general and like, you know, uh, race relations in this country has always been something that uh, I think about my own personal experience with a black father and a white mother. And um, the uh, difficulties of going through life in this country with people asking you, uh, hey, what's your ethnicity every time you meet them? Although you guys didn't do that, which was, which was super. Um, but so I think about all that stuff and having a subject like Jalen, who is so well-versed and so uh, into it and so engaged and so knowledgeable, um, 
he made it really easy. And he was, uh, you know, when they, when GQ approached me about uh, doing a story on Jalen, like I didn't even need to be told that the angle would be off court activity and, uh, you know, him protesting and him organizing a march and him driving down to Atlanta and all that. Like, that's all I wanted to talk to him about anyway. So it was like, I was like a kid in a candy store having an opportunity to talk to him about things that really had nothing to do with why he's a famous person. Um, and so more stories like that, you know, I did some other stories um, in the bubble when I was covering the bubble for GQ about, you know, uh, why do players have group economics on the back of their jerseys? Like, what the hell does that mean? Um, or is basketball a distraction from uh, the social justice movement? Uh, like, Stories like that are really interesting to me. Um, stuff that happens on the court is also interesting, but having an opportunity to kind of use a different part of my brain, I, I've really appreciated. Do you think players appreciate that too, being asked different questions? Because um, like, I, I, granted, I, I worked for the Wolves for, for seven years, and I think you just see when, you, when you're asking the same questions over and over again, um, about basketball, I think that uh, it like it wears on them, right? And they get mm -hmm. sick of it. And where they actually want to talk about some of these things, and especially Jalen Brown, because you could just tell in the piece that that you know, obviously, he wanted to talk to it about with, with somebody. Um, do, have you seen that more with with players wanting to talk just about anything else but basketball in some cases? Uh, One thousand percent, yeah. Um, I've had some great conversations with different players um, over the past few months in particular, just not talking about the game, not talking strategy, um, more talking about their life and their experiences and what they're actually thinking about and what they care about. Um, like, I don't want to step on it at all, but I'm starting to report a piece about mental health awareness and its relationship to the NBA you know, coming off this traumatic year that we had a year ago, Kobe Bryant died. And then the rest of the year was total trash. Just what does that, how does that impact NBA players who are now, you know, traveling the country as a pandemic rages, playing in empty cavernous arenas. And basically their job is to entertain a country that's in a constant state of mourning. And like, what, how does that weigh on you as a human being? So like stories like that are really, really interesting. And players I think are definitely more accepting to, uh, to, to those types of discussions for sure. Do you think that um, kind of having those types of discussions is something that has always been happening and we're just now kind of getting to report on it and hear about it or, or do, or is it just, is it a change within the NBA as well or a bit of both? Uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a really good question for sure. All of these issues have um, been super important um, among NBA players for a very long time. You know, I, I interviewed Isaiah Thomas, for I, mean, I interviewed both Isaiah Thomases for the Jalen piece, but the older one, um, and I was talking to him about, hey, does Jalen remind you of anyone? And he was like, the only re like when I played, there weren't any Jalens because we weren't allowed to talk like that. Like mm -hmm. no one would ask us questions like that, and we didn't have a medium to uh, uh, 
disperse our opinions. Like there was no social media. Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar writes an autobiography about how uh, the mostly or entirely white um, media members, uh, you know, paint him a certain way and don't ask him about or, or can't even relate to his life experience and aren't interested in it and just think he's a surly guy. Um, so like, and he's like the, one of the best players of all time and he was completely ignored. So imagine being, uh, you know, Jalen's very good. Jalen's never made an all-star team. There's a, a lot of guys who are just role players who have really strong feelings, um, about a lot of different issues. So I, yeah, it's definitely always been an important thing from, uh, the perspective of an NBA player. Um, I think more recently there's been a societal sea change in accepting, players you know you talked about a little bit earlier about you know we're drifting way away from the stick to sports era um and i hope that never comes back i don't think it will um but uh, you know society is changing also and we're, we're i think we're more receptive to what an athlete has to say and what an athlete thinks yeah i'm i'm, I'm right there with you with the stick to sports thing because if it, if that if that's the rule then no politicians can ever talk about sports those are the rules um i don't want to hear your opinion on netflix unless you are acting in the show um when you're writing pieces like that like with the jalen brown piece and, and uh mental health piece and these other do you feel like a sense of responsibility um in like hopefully no, no bosses from sports illustrated are, are listening. Like obviously you're going to put all like the, the, your complete best effort into every piece you write. Right. But I think as a writer, there are some pieces that you're checking a hundred times, right. Before you send it in or you're, you're making sure that this paragraph is, is fitting right. And blah, blah, blah. But do you, as a writer, do you feel a little bit more uh, responsibility to, to get those stories? Um, I don't know if writes the best word, but like make them just like, the best they can be. Yeah, I mean, to be 100% honest with you, I try to approach every story like that. Like, I just wrote a feature that I was reporting for weeks about the Orlando Magic and like why they're so uh, so stagnant as an organization. And it's like I want to be super sensitive to um, the people who were willing to open up to me about what it's like to be a part of the Orlando magic over the past few years. And that's, that's like obviously not even close to as important in the grand scheme of some of the issues that I talked about with Jalen. But um, I think there is like a, a, maybe a little bit, it's a little bit heavier of a subject for sure. And I think if you screw up a story on the Orlando magic, like no one's really going to care that much. Um, if you screw up a story uh, talking about race in America, um, then yeah, it'll probably piss a lot of people off. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, um, that's why you, you are where you are too, because you do treat every story, um, like that. That's, that's where, that's where I went wrong. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I read the round table over at, um, at sports illustrated that was posted. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon that was posted on Tuesday, which was, um, a year since, uh, Kobe's death, which, seems like it was yesterday in some cases. And it also seems like it was a decade ago, given everything that's um, happened, you know, over the last year, but everybody's reaction was different um, among the writers in the, in the round table. And everybody had, um, was at obviously a a different location and and had a different experience processing it. But 
it seems like there one there's one constant and like among everybody it still doesn't feel completely real mm-hmm. um does, does does that just speak to when, when somebody's as large as kobe was and as much of an icon that it's maybe something that'll never feel completely real to to fans of the game hmm yeah i mean it took me you know if the pandemic never happened like I would still be trying to process Kobe Bryant's death. It was so uh, startling, tragic, um, obviously unexpected. But like, I remember when I was like a little kid and Princess Di died in a car accident. And like, that was the signature uh, celebrity death that was like, uh, you know, everyone was talking about that. And, you know, my parents couldn't stop talking about it with their friends and they were shocked and they had no, like, and for, you know, this feels a lot like that in the sense that um, it was just paralyzing for so many different people for so long. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a year ago, as you said, but um, it feels like yesterday. It feels like a million years ago. Uh, And like I don't, I didn't really have any energy to write something new about it because I feel like I let all of my, I was like drained in the weeks after it actually happened, um, just from podcasting or writing or talking about it with friends or other writers. And I mean, it was the number one thing, number one topic of conversation, obviously. Um, and so like, I don't think I'll ever fully, uh, like I use the word process a lot, but correctly um, just emotionally accept that this happened. It's just, it's it's still very jarring um, for it, like such a tragic event to take place. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't even know what else I can say about it that hasn't already been said. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's the thing. And, and like, I remember, after it happened and obviously there's tribute pieces and some of them were so beautiful. Right. And like, as a writer trying to write one, you're in my mind, I was like, I just don't even feel like I can put anything together that would be worthy enough to, you know, to, to do that. Cause the thing with Kobe, it's like, whether you were a fan of him or not, and certainly like while he was playing, um, you know, you could be on either end of that. And there were a lot on both sides, but like at the end of the day, and I wasn't like, I remember obviously as a Timberwolves fan in the early 2000s, I was not a Kobe Bryant fan, but, it, but it's still at the same time, I loved and respected him um, because he's a guy you're just like, okay, like he gives this look after he hits this shot, um, you know, and he's going to shoot until he makes it. And um, like, I remember that stretch where he was, um, people were calling him selfish he basically made a point for like two weeks straight and he averaged like 11 assists per game or something like something crazy. Um, and I don't know, like I, we're not, we're not going to ever get another Kobe Bryant. And it just seems um, like, I don't know if the last year and everything happening has like taken away from our ability to, to cope with that or to like honor him in, in a better way. But um, yeah, it just, it, in, in maybe it'll for like, feel like this forever, but it just, feels like that empty feeling is still there and we're still like waiting for something to happen that'll make us feel better. 
Yeah, I think one of the other aspects of it is just uh, he is affiliated with so many different of your own personal memories and so tied to big events in your life if you follow the NBA, as all of us do. Um, and a lot of those memories are shared with uh, your closest friends and people who really mean a lot to you in your own life. So, like, I can remember watching the 2008 finals, like at home, uh, the Celtics Lakers, like I'm a big Celtics fan to this day. And uh, I despised Kobe um, throughout that series. And I remember watching that the whole thing, um, like with my dad in the living room. And like, those are terrific memories. It was like the comeback in, I think it was game four, um, the Paul Pierce wheelchair game, just like, we don't need to talk about the 2010 finals at all, but the 2008 finals were like really great, uh, great memories. And then also for me personally, and on a professional level, like I covered, I lived in LA for four years and I covered Kobe's last season. So I got an opportunity to, um, talk to him a few times and like, he was, unlike any person I have ever interacted with, um, let alone basketball player. And uh, those are crazy memories that um, I knew I would treasure as they were happening. I now, I didn't know I would treasure them to the degree I have post uh, his death. Yeah, well said. Um, we'll, we'll pivot to something a little lighter than um, our previous topics, and that is the 2019 or 2020, 2021 Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, spoiler alert, still not very good, but, um, I, for, for you covering, covering the NBA in a national schedule or a, a national level, I think, um, like all fan bases, right. We get trapped in this little like Timberwolves Twitter bubble and we convince ourselves that, um, like Jared Vander built is like really good or something. And, um, there's all these other storylines, but like just taking a step back to, to, to where you are, like what's the national perspective if you could give one on um, Minnesota Timberwolves? Um, I mean, I guess the way I see them is, you know, they are, you know, probably the worst team in the NBA, maybe. Um, shout out to the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> God, that hurts. That just hurts to hear. Because I like. And you don't I, agree, I, though, Kyle. You don't agree. I, I no, think I like, do agree. And maybe this is just like a therapy session for me. Welcome, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's there's obviously been a lot of uh, like tragic things that they've they're trying to overcome. I mean, their franchise player Carl Towns has been through just uh, just like a hellacious year of life and uh, has been forget like obviously off the court, terrible, terrible things have happened to him that he's experienced. Um, but then like, he hasn't really been able to play at all uh, this season that much either. And you haven't had an opportunity to see him develop any sort of chemistry with D'Angelo Russell on a consistent basis. I mean, after the Russell trade last season, I think they played one game together yeah. uh, against the Raptors. And, you know, that's like the bedrock of your organization. And so those guys not being able to show just how compatible they can be on both ends of the floor 
is tough. It's tough to like build an organ, like a strong foundation from there. Um, I guess like, you know, there are moments where you see like flashes of just awesomeness out of Anthony Edwards. Um, That dunk that he had against the Warriors was like, uh, you know, I, I usually watch games like on my laptop or in my living room on league pass sometimes with like headphones on and like that dunk made me just shout. Like I was, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, so like you see stuff like that, you see him, there's some plays where he'll attack a closeout, just get into the paint at will, like glide from the dotted line to the rim. Um, there are bad things about his game, obviously, but he's a rookie, but I, I try to focus on the positives with someone like that. Um, but then like the other flip of the coin is like, uh, a Jared Culver type of figure who maybe isn't progressing as much as you would like as considering where he was drafted. Um, you see a lot of just, I mean, I think the Wolves, the Timberwolves have like, you know, debatably the worst defense in the league, just like aesthetically for me and how they execute what Ryan Saunders wants them to do um, or even what he has them doing sometimes. And that's, you know, not, great either uh but it's just it i mean it's just a struggle i think this season's going to be a struggle for them um and not having your first round pick also potentially this year and like a really good draft that's if they don't keep that pick i think that would be also a tough pill to swallow yeah hasn't been a great season hasn't been very fun we watched a really good summer yeah <laughs> we launched this podcast this year and um <laughs> we haven't had a lot to talk about in, in the positive column. Um, we, we talk about this all the time. And like, I think if you look at the, if you look and say, okay, we flipped Andrew Wiggins and that was like where everybody was in wolves land, like a year ago, they're like, we have to get rid of his contract. How are we going to get rid of them? Okay. And then the D'Angelo Russell trade happens and everybody gets so excited. We forget that the, that, that draft pick is included in it, obviously, um, but like you alluded to it, if they lose their pick this year, like what a nightmare, right? Like if it falls between somewhere between like four and seven, that's, that's horrible. But hmm. also we talk about this all the time. Like just because you traded Andrew Wiggins, and you got rid of his contract. Like it doesn't make D'Angelo Russell, this like franchise saving player. Like maybe he's a better fit for your team and maybe he's a better player, but like to think that he's a top 20 player or even a top 30 player. I think is it's, it's probably a mistake for, for the, the Timberwolves fan base. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how good you can be as a basketball team. If D'Angelo Russell is one of your two best players, um, you know, I don't think long-term that's what Gerson Rosas envisions. You know, I would imagine that they're, they have very high hopes for Anthony Edwards over the next few years, for sure. Um, and of course, Jordan McLaughlin, who's like my favorite player in the league, um, just an absolute stud. Um, but no, I mean, with Russell, it's like sometimes I'm just like, is Malik Beasley just better than D'Angelo Russell? I think that's like a, it's almost like a fair question to ask, which is um, they're they're different in a lot of respects, but like the fact that that is even a question you can ask without getting laughed out of a room is not what you want. If you are uh, paying D'Angelo Russell, the amount of money that you're paying him. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like I, I don't really know like 
where you pivot from here um, if you don't have that draft pick going forward because, like, Carl Towns is... I just don't know, uh, like, how you kind of progress as an organization with the commitment that you have with Russell and Towns if you know deep down that that is not, like, the the foundation of a team that can like win multiple playoff series. I don't know where you're going as an organization then. And that's, that, that's the thing. And that's what we've talked about where it's like, okay, great. Like you have Russell and, and you have Beasley. And I agree with you. I think that Beasley question is a legit legitimate question. And I think part of it too, it's like Beasley has that edge to him where um, Russell just hasn't shown that yet. Um, he, he, like the, the leadership skills aren't really there, which if you're the fourth best player on a team or coming off the bench, I think that's fine. But when you're expected to be a leader, especially with towns out, that's been something that where it's been like, okay, we need somebody to lead this group. And it's like when Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt are like, and Jordan McLaughlin are your guys, which I, I'm like the biggest Jordan McLaughlin fan. So I'm so glad you said that. I love him. <laughs> um, like I have a sweatshirt of his just like sitting over there. Um but yeah, like when that's your thing, like, oh my gosh, like we need to get Jordan McLaughlin in the game. It's like, wait, what? Like, wh- wh- where are we at here? And th- the problem is like, okay, so yeah, I agree. I think Anthony Edwards is probably your ticket. But by the time Edwards gets to the point where you want him to get, um, what is he in his third or fourth year maybe? And by then, Towns and Russell are probably just both gone. Like, I can't imagine that if the Timberwolves don't make the playoffs for the next two seasons – I can't imagine either wanting to re-up their contracts here. And that's where you get to this problem, which I think a lot of teams deal with, where you're trying to get on the right timeline with your stars. Um, and it reminds me a lot of the the, the Pelicans um, when they had Anthony Davis, where they were trying to build around him with young players, and then they try to hurry up the process with veterans. And then that you know, it's like, okay, we peaked at our eight seed. Um, and then that was that. So, yeah, I mean – there's no question here. This is just my um, anxiety and my fear for Timberwolves fans coming up. I mean, team building as a small market organization is just like the margins are so small and there's so much that you cannot control as a general manager and as a front office and even as a coaching staff. And it's like super frustrating that a lot of your energy is spent trying to retain this guy, Carl Towns, and like, is he, you know, I think Kyle Towns is a really good player, but like when all of your resources go towards kind of maximizing his abilities in the short term, like where does that leave you in the long term? if you are, I mean, their roster isn't like super old or anything, but like, are they going to make another panic trade? at some point where you move on from Jared Culver, maybe a little bit too soon and try to get a less uh, someone who's less productive or less um, valuable long-term, but can maybe contribute more in the here and now. Um, Like, I don't, I don't know. I think they're, they have uh, a lot of issues right now. I have a question for you guys though. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, based on everything that we've seen over a month of basketball or, or so, are you happy with Edwards as the number one pick? Are you frustrated that Edwards was the number one pick? Are you feeling uh, weary or super confident or just like what is, what's the, the mental state, would you say? 
I really like Edwards. I'm I'm glad to have him. I really like his attitude and his approach. And I think that with any of these guys that were going to be drafted at the top, it was going to be kind of a waiting game and a bit of a like developmental. Like there was going to be an adjustment period. So I'm not too concerned about him not performing, especially like consistently, especially given how young he is and how this organization and team right now is just not an optimal place to be developing as a young player. So I'm still really happy with him. I mean, we'll see what happens with LaMelo Ball, but I think that the fit concerns with him and uh, D'Lo and I guess now bringing back Ricky Rubio were real. And so I I, I guess you never really want to draft for fit, but I, I like Edwards. I just like his attitude and his approach. So I'm still pretty confident. Yeah, where do I stand? Um, you know, I I was a big Wiseman guy, but now looking at it, like that that maybe might not have worked. And then you're just doubling down, I guess, on obviously the way the season's gone. Like you would love somebody like Wiseman, um, another big. But it's so funny because my, my main concern was like I'm 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 just I was drinking the Jarrett Culver Kool Aid um, at the beginning of the season, and I was like, okay, you have Culver, you have a Kogi, you have Beasley, like where are they going to find time for Anthony Edwards? <laughs> and now it's like, okay, play Edwards 35 minutes a game and like figure it out. So um, <laughs> no, I, I feel good. I mean, cause even if LaMelo ball w- like turns out to be a better player, I don't think he's going to be a better player by leaps and bounds. Like where it's mm-hmm. like one of those like classic number one versus number two versus number, you know, where you look and you're like, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel good about him. Um, like as far as the coaching front goes, like that, that's been like the main talker in Minnesota has, is like, okay, like do you move on from Ryan Saunders? Um, David Vanterpool's right there. And I think there is some irony that like he's a defensive coordinator and we have the worst defense in the league. And that's where Wolves fans are. Is they're just like, well, let's promote this. I mean, which I think David Vanderpool needs, he deserves a head coaching job just given the respect that he's earned throughout the league and he should certainly get one. But by looking at the the Ryan Saunders situation, like, is it fair? Is a criticism fair, or is it one of those things where it's like, hey, like last season your star player was out for more than half the year with a wrist injury, and this season, you know, like your two best players, like you said before, they haven't played together. Um, I, I just think it's hard to to really make much of an assessment. Yeah, I mean. On one hand, there are plenty of excuses that you can use for sure. Like your best player, your franchise player, um, the guy I'm sure that a lot of your schemes were built around uh, in the compressed training camp. Colin Anthony Towns has played four games, and uh, that's that's terrible. And I'm sure that they would have won more games with Colin Anthony Towns healthy playing, you know, 34, 35 minutes a night. Um I do think like real quick, you know, I know David a little bit um, and I think he's a really smart just from talking to him uh, back when he was in Portland um, a few times when they would come through town. um, He's a really smart guy. And I second what you're saying about him deserving a head coach uh, position in the league. Um, Like I'm not advocating, though, necessarily for Ryan Saunders to lose his job. I think he has been dealt a really difficult hand given the injuries. Um, You would like to see a little bit more um, just like, like execution in some common sense ways. Uh, 
on the defensive end for sure. And maybe like why some of the shots Anthony Edwards takes, like uh, I just wonder what the communication is between him and the coaching staff there and, you know, whether or not we can cut some of this out um, without destroying his confidence. But like, these are the tough uh, responsibilities that a coach has and you need to navigate um, turmoil and injuries. And now you need to navigate COVID, which is terrible. Um, So like, yeah. So I guess like where I come out on it is, I wouldn't say that Ryan Saunders has been the best coach in the NBA um, at all, but I would say be a little bit more patient. Um, you know, in the NBA, patience is just like not something that any organization except the Orlando Magic um, have had over the past few years. So just like let this ride out a little bit, wait for Cat to get healthy, give that a few weeks. And then if things are still in the dumps completely, then maybe you can make a move. All right. Well, we just talked about the Timberwolves for 20 minutes and the rules of talking about the Timberwolves is for every 20 minutes you talk about them, you have to take a two hour nap. So um, that's, that's where we'll end. But um, thanks so much, man, for, for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, you talked about some of your upcoming work. Is there anything you want uh, fans to go, to go check out? Um, not really. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, I co-host the Open Floor podcast with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. And so if anyone who, you know, subscribing to that would be super. Uh, but beyond that, no, I mean, I write quite a bit about what's going on in the league at SI. So check out SI. And that's about it. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, yes, Twitter. Um, Michael V. Pina on Twitter. Um, so follow me there if you would like absolutely atrocious takes about Peyton Pickard. <laughs> hey, we all need some more of that in our lives. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, go read his stuff. Go follow him on Twitter. Um, listen to his podcast. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Right.